Hi guys, I'm Liam Hay Grappler and welcome to my podcast. Returning on the podcast today, we have uh, Helion Hicks and Gracie Coralbelt, Professor Pedro Sauer. So we talk about uh, Brazilian politics in this episode, especially with regards to the recent history of the military and the civilian governments. Um, talk about corruption, the favelas, indoctrination, the welfare state. We talk about Jair Bolsonaro's recent uh election victory, um, how he won, especially uh, with the mainstream media so much against him. Uh, we talk about the state of hospitals in Brazil, uh, education, the difficulties of owning a business. Um, he also tells us a story about meeting the Dalai Lama, which was pretty cool. Uh, the history of the aeroplane and the links to Brazil uh, through Alberto Santos Dumont. Uh, we also touch on a brief bit of uh, Petropolis history, uh, the biggest mistakes in jiu-jitsu, the best example of jiu-jitsu changing lives, especially with regards to bringing balance and the social benefits of jiu-jitsu, development of jiu-jitsu, especially with regards to Australia, the importance of a program, the strategy of self-defense and longevity. So I hope you guys enjoy this episode and we'll catch you on the other side. Oos. Hi guys, I'm the Impaired Grappler and welcome to my podcast. Today we have a very special guest returning for his second time uh, on the show. It's uh, Professor Pedro Sauer. Welcome. Thank you very much, Amigo. Thank you. I appreciate it, Sama. Thank you, everyone, guys. Now, uh, this is going to be a little bit of a different podcast. Uh, I just wanted to talk a little bit about politics and about the recent <laughs> Brazilian election. Okay. Um, the candidate, how do you say his name? Yeah. Jair. Jair. Messias. Bolsonaro. Bolsonaro. So, uh, can you just start on like what was it like, sort of, in Brazil the last, um, in recent history, maybe the last thirty years? Um, you know, just like the sentiments on the street, um, the economics, and how you know people were were living as well. Um, well, Brazil economics and the, and the, the late thirty years, or even try to go a little bit farther when I was a kid. Uh, for in, since 1964, Brazil had a, a, the population got together and they begged for the military to take over the country because the country was going to the same direction of Cuba at the mm-hmm. time and Fidel Castro so and the socialists, uh, kind of socialist, uh, communist, a little bit of uh, mm-hmm. Marxism. They tried to implement that, they implemented that in Cuba and the next, uh, the next line was, was Brazil. And uh, the people didn't want that, and they asked for the military to take over. Brazil used to be, uh, the economy was horrible, the country was uh, very, very poor, uh, no, no, no good uh, technology, nothing. It was nothing to be proud of. And uh, the military, they, they came to power, um, basically in 1964, mm-hmm. and uh, they stayed until 1985. Okay. It, was, it was a long period of time in power. In the meantime, there was a lot of fighting, there was a lot of people fighting against the government. A lot of people, they, they said that the guy in exile because they have to run for the military government. But uh, after I studied a little bit, um, apparently Brazil never, get, never expedite one exile letter. So, so they, they never officially exiled anyone? They never been exiled. They call themselves, they, they, the way how they call there, they call the fugitives. People just flee out of the country because they're scared to go against the military government. But um, 
we just got to see the numbers. We have to see what they've done it. We have to study history. Mm. And uh, apparently what they've done in Brazil, they brought Brazil from the 64 economy down to seven. And, and, and they did an incredible amount of uh, uh, good things for Brazil. Yep. And of course, uh, yes, it was a little bit too long, but uh, there was a war at the time between the, the politics, between the socialists. There, there was a lot of confusion at the time. But the bottom line, the, the period of the time was over. 1985, they elected a civilian president, a guy who came to the, the, the... And every so on after that. And every president of Brazil is millionaire. Since after the military government. Since the military, okay. Before the military government, all the five presidents, they died poor. Hmm. So there was no corruption? There was no the corruption. You know, and after that, they came back. Uh, the, all the guys that was fighting against the, 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 the politics, they came back, they took power, and they decided to implement the ideology. Okay, so from when they got in power, the, the more civilian uh, government rather than military government, from then to today, how has it, how has it been? They destroyed the country. Destroyed the country. They completed, they, they, uh, the numbers are in the trillions of dollars that they stolen. Well, because Brazil is one of the highest economic, was one of the top, in the top, top 10 countries, like seventh or, or GDP, yep. or used to be, it was like yep. a powerhouse in economics. Unbelievable, unbelievable amount of resource. The problem, mm. the politics, they steal everything. And not just that, they educate the population how to steal. Yeah. So unfortunately in Brazil today, you don't have hope of work. Nobody has a job. And, and people that doesn't have anything, they, they, they want some kind of help from the government, but the government to just help themselves. Hmm. They just help the top notch, the top, the top cream of the, just the top guys, the top layer. And everybody else is poor. The education went down to the dirt. Hmm. The health is down to the dirt. The crime in Brazil, we have 60,000 people dying a year. It's more than a wars. Well, it's like you think about the favelas, when did that come about? Well, that's after the military government, the favelas exploded all mm. over. And the problem is not the favelas. Favelas got a lot of good people. Mm. Majority of people who live in favelas, they are good people. The minority of guys who are selling drugs, that have no hopes, they go and they convert all the kids. The little kids, they see, well, the drug dealers, they have all the girls, they have jewelry, they have all kinds mm. of stuff. I want to be just like him. And they spread this all over Brazil. Mm. That's okay. what happened there. All right. Um, so, how, how did he win? Because like, he got stabbed and he was out of, like, he was obviously recovering for a while and it was a bit touch and go there. Um, but he missed out on doing a lot of campaigning. So, how did he win? Whereas, like, he raised a million dollars to spend, and I think he spent like seven hundred thousand dollars out of that. Yep. Whereas the previous, the previous guy, the previous person to be elected, spent one hundred fifty million dollars. Close to three hundred and fifty. Or three fifty. Down to three fifty. Three hundred fifty million. Okay. So it's like three hundred fifty times more money. That's crazy. That's unbelievable. Yeah. So, and can you talk about, and also. You mentioned how he's the only person in the, in the politics that wasn't been, uh, hasn't been indicted for corruption or... Well, the politics in Brazil is a very dirt. Uh, they, are just, they are very dishonest and they are there, they promise everything until they get in power. After that, they forget all the promise. That's how they do. Mm. And um, when they get in power, everything they do, 
they, they, they try to make a, they take a percentage, they take a cut. So anything you want to do in Brazil, you have to bribe somebody. Mm. That's how the country is being run since uh, the military uh, uh, law, you know, kind of since the civilian took the power. And then it filters down to the people as well, and oh, rather bribing everyone. everyone and... Spread everywhere down. So it is a uh, Jair Messias Bolsonaro is the only politics, and he was mentioned in several operations as the only guy that that didn't get corrupt in 27 years of politics. So what he did, he brought this to the to the arena when he was competing against the, the, the other candidate. Uh, the other candidate, his name was um, Fernando Haddad. And Fernando Haddad was uh, a, the worst mayor ever Sao Paulo ever had. He's okay. the worst mayor. And some people think they, they're going to do something good for Brazil. So, and he, Fernando Haddad, it is a, a, basically they call him a puppet uh, from Lula. Lula was the, the a president that from 2003, uh, he had two terms, and Lula, uh, he was the guy who got caught in many corruption. Lula destroyed the country. He, he incentive uh, ignorance. Mm, incentivized he used to brag himself, I hate books. You know, you see a president something, you know, saying something like that, man, the president hates books. Oh, you see a president saying, life camera. Yeah, we lie. We invent a whole bunch of numbers. You used to lie. You used to just throw numbers and numbers and numbers. And they applaud us. So he's a guy who bragged himself to be corrupt. And not just that. The guy has a, he's a, he's a, has a, um, education that the guy had. He's, he's just a street smart guy who lived his whole life doing strikes. Okay. They said that when he was young, he was working in a, in a factory. And he cut his own self. He cut his finger off. Okay. And he's been retired, collect pension since then, living his whole life doing strikes. And later he had elected president. He got a lot of popularity. He, he, he assumed the country. Or he was in power when the country was, was very well. So he spread a lot of wealth, I guess, on the poor people. Mm. But at the same time, those poor people now they own Lula. They own Lula, uh, you know, because now you don't vote for your mind anymore. You vote for your stomach, because Lula is giving you fifty bucks. Mm. He's giving a sandwich, you know. He's giving a, a piece of bread, and you vote for him. Mm. And that's what happened in Brazil. But you don't get that if you if you try to find a job that doesn't pay much. You don't get any incentives. No, I, I got an example. I know a guy in Brazil that uh, want to open a textile business, and uh, he he decided to open a. a a course and he brought 2,000 women 2,000 women did this course and they all came to the to the to the factory learn how to all, all the machines our electrical machines when come time to the hire those women they said no we cannot have we cannot be hired we have to we have to be paid under the table how come well because our we all have social work we all work we have we, we receive a social pension mm. the government's giving us 500 bucks 300 bucks 200 bucks so we cannot lose his money. Mm. So he didn't hire one person from 2000. That's, that's what this guy did in the country. Okay, that's amazing. All right, so um, how, did you, how did you meet uh, Bolsonaro? Um, and what do you know about him? Because like we've seen in the, in the mainstream media, and it's like, you know, there's a lot about fake news out there. And, you know, a lot of people are saying, oh, far right and fascist and calling them all these things and bigots and racist and, you know, everything that they, that they throw out there for anyone that's might be slightly on the right or whatever. 
So, yeah, I, I was just wondering if you could touch on that, on yeah. him as a person. Uh, Bolsonaro as a person, uh, I met him in July, and I was one of the first guy who spoke publicly about him in our envi my, my environment, in, the, mm. in my friendship environment. And I got bashed. A lot of people talk, I can't believe mm. this guy's this, this guy's that, is it? I've seen a little bit of it, but um, yeah, because you post a lot of the Portuguese stuff, and that's why I wanted to talk to you about it, because like I don't understand like, yep. all, the, all the things that you're posting, so yep. I wanted to sort of, anyway, sorry, go well, on. Well, think about this. Uh, right now, the Congress, over 500 people, how corrupt. Somebody has to have a stomach to deal with those people. And the only way to do that is to come up with a spray you know, the one you kill, kill other cockroach? Mm. Somebody has to come with a spray like Just that. Just nuke them all. You have to clean up mm. the area. Not kill it, but, but take, put those guys out and mm. make them responsible for what they've done for the country. They are living a, a, a life with millions of millions of dollars they've stolen for, mm. from the people. Yeah. People die in the hospitals in Brazil. You cannot get a, a doctor to operate you. They don't have medicine. They don't have syringe. All the hostels in Brazil, people die in the lines. Mm. And this is the real crime. You know, because the money instead of going to the hostel, went to the politics pocket. They, uh, this, the the uh, education in Brazil is zero. Mm. They are teaching kids at six years old how to perform sex. They well, tell... Got to have priorities. Well, they, they speak very loud and clear that uh, your kid, when he's born, he didn't born a man or a girl, he born as a person. Mm. And it's up to him or to her to discover what she's going to be. Well, that's a whole other debate. <laughs> that's what they, that's the, that's the whole, the Bolsonaro stuff coming to this, this, uh, uh, because he, he saw a guy, uh, a group of people going to the Congress to approve under the, the education minister materials book. When you open the book, it is a, a host and you slide your finger to the hole and you close the page. For six years old, a little kid, little girl, teach people how to do that. And Bolsonaro, apparently at the time, fought against that, went against that. They call him homophobic. Mm. Well, it's just sexualizing of children, which, yeah, I, I don't like. <laughs> I'm against that. It's like, it's nothing to do with, like... Little kids got to go to school to learn history, scientists, to learn math, physics, chemistry, not to, be, to learn ideology. Mm. That's right. And that's what they did in the country. They destroyed the, the country. Every person who got education in Brazil, and on, right now they're on the 30s, uh, around 30 years old or below, they all been uh, corrupt with ideologies. Well, these ideologies, are, you know, they're, yeah, like you said, they corrupt, but they're, they're an easy answer. It's, it's easy. You, exactly. got, you have the answer to everything. Easy, especially if you don't, like, if you don't want to work. Mm, exactly. You know, if, exactly. if you want to receive, if you want somebody to feed you for the rest of your life, you give the guy a fish every day. Mm. If you want somebody to be successful, you teach him mm. how to fish. Mm. Yeah. And in Brazil, they done they give the fish every day. That's what they did over there. Yeah. Well. So, the people came out and voted for him. So you. So do you think he'll succeed because of that? So do you think the people are all waking up? Well, what they're being told in the media versus. No, what we they still say? have a lot of people against. Of yeah. course, they've been educated. It's going to be only time is going to change that. You're going to have time. You have. You got to have faith. No, when the election was going, yeah, you can say whatever you want. But after you, after somebody won the election, there's nothing else you can do. Mm. You know, yeah. you, you just have to uh, accept. That's right. And you, you should support the person that won. You got to support yeah, the person. Because that's the will of the people. Yeah, because now yeah. Is, the, is for the well-being of the country. 
I don't care. Uh, I have respect your, your ideology. I respect your wishes. I respect anything that you do. Mm. But, man, if somebody's in power, and there's no way you can take him out of power, you cannot blink your eyes and the guy's going to drop the powers. You cannot point the finger at him. He's going to drop out. No, he's going to be there. So why not right now? The best to do is to team up, be positive, and try to see change. And, and you see a lot of change. I already seen a lot of change happening. Hmm. A lot of people change already. Okay. So, uh, yeah, it could be a it could be a positive thing. So hopefully this because like there's yeah, world worldwide people are sort of rebelling against you know the people in charge dictating everything that we're doing. It's like you know, and a lot of criticism against it and calling it a you know fascism and that's but that's like people don't understand history and they they don't see that what their ideology is is exactly the same as what caused hundreds of millions of deaths in the last century and it's like people don't know they don't know and they just because it sounds it sounds good and it's easy and it's yeah it's it it, it makes you uh, be virtuous yeah they tell you what you want to hear Mm. and they support in a way but the history tells a different story you know if you analyze history it tells a different story and this guy stood up for a complete against that he's a hard worker he wants to see people to succeed he wants the country to start making trade deals with the whole entire world, mm. not with only countries that's been had the same ideology. Mm. In the TPP and all that. Like, he wants to open stuff. up. You know, that's mm. what it is. And, and we're going to see change. Mm. He put a minister uh, called Ministério da Fazenda. He's a guy, his name is Paulo Guedes, who is a genius, super intelligent mm-hmm. guy. Uh, I got to know Paulo Guedes many years ago when I was a broker. He used to be my boss friend. And mm-hmm. those guys was incredible genius. They studied their whole life. Mm. They're very bright people. Mm. They can tell economy of the, every, every corner of the mm. world. They can tell how the economy is going to work in Greece, mm. in Turkey, in China. Japan. They can tell exactly how they study all those, those in and outs. Now this guy is want to open up. You want to lower taxes. You want to make the country way more friendly towards all the, all the people. Mm. You want to make uh, incentive people to, 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 like, to have a job there. Real freedom. Like, I have, a, I have a, a business in Brazil. I have a bed and breakfast in Brazil. You have no idea how much I suffer mm. to keep the bed and breakfast open. I have nine employees on the bed and breakfast. Cost me twice the amount of the money. Mm. And the, the employees receive only half. Mm. The other, the government bites. No, the government would, would take almost 50% in taxes. Mm. And, and when somebody pays you electronically, is that electronic, electronic deducted from your account? Mm go to the government and what they do they steal money they, mm. they, they burn money you see guys buying chat, uh, jets private jets travel all over the world buying mansions driving you know incredible motor car and they're doing money they're just sucking money out of the government mm. that's what they do yeah it's just like building up bigger and bigger bureaucracy it's just like for, for what you you build dif- dif- uh, you, you make it very difficult for you to run a business mm. for you to sell an easy way with bribery. Mm. So you want to get something done? Bribe the guy over there, you get it done. Mm. You want to go for the normal hoops? It's going to take a few years. Well, you need to incentivize big business by not they don't taxing do them out, out, of, out of everything. So, so for the past uh, four years, uh, uh, they have 270 multinational business that left Brazil. Mm. The dollar in Brazil was two to one real, went to four to one real. Right now, when Bolsonaro uh, was, was, getting, uh, was winning the election, 
uh, when, when, the, when the election was kind of tight, the dollar went to 4.2, 4.20. Mm. The dollar went to 4.20. Right now, after Bolsonaro win the election, 3.6. The stock market spike. So you think those people don't know? They, they probably mm. know something mm. a little bit different. Yeah, the, well, it's all right. Yeah, the stock market, those people know something. They they're, so they're, putting their they're putting their money out there. It's a lot of money, so they study. They have to know. Otherwise, they'll just lose the money. Yeah. Um, just wanted to touch on a few other things. Uh, the story of you meeting the Dalai Lama. <laughs> could you go into that? How did that come about? And could you, yeah, because that's a pretty fascinating story. And that happened many, many years ago. I was in China meeting one of my black belts there. His name was Chet Quint. And uh, Chet Quint's wife, she made a reservation in a restaurant. Uh, close to Tibet, mm -hmm. a Tibetan kind of area where uh, Tibet food um, and, uh, was a Chinese New Year's. I don't remember the year, maybe 2004. I'm not sure exactly the year, to be honest. I got to check them. I got a picture of mm -hmm. him. But um, so anyway, we went to this restaurant that she made a reservation. And uh, when, I, when we arrived in the restaurant, the, the, the table was taken over. It was no longer available. Okay. So my friend's wife, Chad's wife, started getting an argument and I kind of walk away a little bit from the confusion, you know, try to stay a little bit away. And I want to look inside the restaurant. I saw this guy dressing uh, in a kind of gold, yellowish kind of color with her glasses and very kind of, the guy was have very nice aura, very, very calm. Yeah. Very, and I kind of looked at the guy, it was pretty far away. I kind of looked at him and I had an impression that uh, he was looking at me. So I kind of very discreet, I kind of did my hand like this. I put my hand like that and he did that. And later did put my hand like this and he did that too. And I walked towards him, it was the Dalai Lama. And he invited me to sit and uh, me, Chad and his wife were sitting at the table and uh, we had a dinner. You know, the show that we were in there, it was a specific show of the Dalai Lama crew. It was a woman, a Tibet woman that was doing all the singing and we had a great view, and it was a great time. I took pictures of him, and um, one, one of the um, unbelievable occasions. Okay. Great guy. So, like, what do, what do you discuss with the Dalai Lama? Oh, well, <laughs> dinner, yeah. Like, like, no, we didn't he's talk. A not normal. He's just a normal person. That's just... No, he just pretty much blessed. Uh, he put the hand. Uh, you know, he kind of give us a, a spot, and it was uh, like fifty people mm. here. So we didn't talk, we, we didn't socialize. Okay. You know, he just basically invited us, put, uh, put us on the table, and he was very nice. He got up, he, he moved, all the bodyguards moved mm -hmm. out of the way. You know, he, he put the hand uh, on, my, on my head. Yeah, he, I think uh, there's something with that, that like you recognized his aura, but I think he recognized your aura as well. You know, yeah. just peaceful, walking away from, not wanting to be, not wanting to be violent, not wanting to get, get involved. In, no trouble. No trouble, no trouble, just yeah. be peaceful. It probably happened. And he probably, probably saw some kind of... Yeah, fair enough. Um, can, you, can you talk about it, um, the history of the aeroplane uh, with regards to Brazil and, and <laughs> like a, a place in, in Cyprus? Ah, no, sorry, in, in, in Petropolis. Well, the history of aeroplane. Mm. We have to talk about aeroplane. Mm. You know, uh, cannot talk about glider. Mm -hmm. It's a kind of difference. Huh? Mm -hmm. So basically, at the early days, 
early 1900s was a lot of people trying to fly. And um, the Wright brothers, they push a glider out of Kitty Hawk. And uh, it, was a, it was a very kind of flight. They just went and it was, a, it was a, in a track. They pushed this, aer this, uh, this glider out of the, the track and they flew and they, they hit, uh, they, they land right there. Mm. It was very, it was just one, and they, you know, they flew. They got lift. They got lift. But uh, if you understand the history of an airplane, the word airplane is something heavier than air that can take off and land on your own power, on your mm. own will. A glider needs a little push. So in France, during the same time, after the Wright brothers, but a very similar time, this guy, Brazilian guy, his name is Alberto Santos Dumont. He got in an airplane and he flew around the Eiffel Tower in front of thousands of people. Mm. So they call him the father of the aviation. But the, the Wright brother is the one that did the first, that recognized in America. Mm. In a, so once in a while I make a joke and I, when I go to the museums, I ask the, the guide and I say, sir, what's the difference between a glider and an airplane? And I just wonder, because a glider, I understand, you have to be pushed. That's what the Wright brothers did. Mm. Or they took off on their own wheel. Mm. So how can you say that's the first airplane? So that's how Brazilians do it. And I believe that if you go to Europe, and you, and you see the, uh, the, all the, the, the Europe, European uh, database and all the historical, they mention about Alberto Santos Dumont. Mm. By the way, he's the kind of guy, uh, the first time they put a, a watch on the wrist was for him. Okay. So the first watch, watch. Cart, you know, Cartier? Cartier, yeah. Cartier. The first time they put a watch on the wrist was because Santos Dumont was flying an airplane and he had to look instead. Instead of pull it out all the pocket. Yeah. So they put in his wrist. So the first wrist watch came from uh, from this guy too. Cartier did a watch. And what, and what year was that? I want to say 1906. I'm not 100% yeah, yeah. sure. Yeah, yeah. But you, you might, might got to check it out. Yeah. It's kind of an interesting story. hundred years later, look at us. <laughs> Today we have incredible airplanes, we have incredible stuff. But in the early days, this guy used to live in Petropolis. Mm. And he's got that funny staircase at his place uh, to make sure he steps left, right, left, right. It was a very steep, mm. it's very steep stairs. And the only way to make the steep stairs work is you only make a half step. Mm. So that you have to stop always with your right foot like this, you go right, left, right, left, and you can climb up the ladder. Mm. If it was a full ladder, you have to move the Go around. You go around. Yeah. Instead, just lift the leg. So yeah, it's pretty he's cool. the one who did that too. Yeah. Same thing, the tropics kind of chilly place on the winter. Mm. He created the first uh, uh, a way to get a, a warm shower. Okay. You put a bucket and light a candle and it's a bucket. Okay. Yeah. And he just, and, just in. and you can see him, he just pull a little cord, the bucket, they move. You probably saw that in a, if you see the, the house. When, yeah, when saw you saw the house, we didn't go in, but yeah, we saw, saw the house, oh. saw the steps. But yeah, just walking around Petropolis. It's a beautiful city. Beautiful, it's, gorgeous place. So that's the that's a historical city. Mm. That's where the king of Brazil used to live. Yeah. I discovered Petropolis, uh, the kind of similarity with um, Portugal. Mm -hmm. You know, if you go to Lisbon, Lisbon in Portugal is like Rio. Okay. And if you go up in the mountains, you go to Cascais, and that's Petropolis, Cascais, that's the place where the, the wealthy people used to spend summer, mm. because they couldn't take the heat. And there's a lot of, um, a lot of the architecture is the same, 
similar. Oh, very similar. When I was, I was in Portugal, oh my goodness, I, I, I thought I was in Rio de Janeiro. <laughs> I saw everything there. Mm. I was so comfortable with the language. Mm. I, I was comfortable seeing everything there. Well, every time that I looked somebody walk in the streets, it looked like I was looking at one of my, my relatives. Because mm. I have a lot of, you know, uh, my grandma's from Portugal, from, from my, my dad's side, and I had other Portugal people from the other side. So a lot of people that I saw that I grew up looked just like those, those Portuguese people there. Mm. Some like to That's be in, in town and you see your, your grandpa's brother walking in, mm. walking they, by. They look the same. They look just like the same. same. same Speak same the way, same, same mannerisms. Same the way how they look, the same walking, the same, the same uh, kind of mannerisms. <laughs> That's really funny. So could you talk about um, in jiu-jitsu, like when you got you, you're traveling in the world doing seminars, biggest mistakes made that you see, and or if not mistakes, like what you see from maybe 10, 10 years ago compared to today, how maybe there's less mistakes now? Can you talk about? Well, mistakes that I can see that can happen is for, for, for the student. You know, of course, instructor motivating the student to to grapple too early, mm. to fight too early, to try moves too early. I think that's a mistake. Uh, we uh, as a you no, know, it's okay if we were one one. Mm. Now we can talk. But imagine a school with four hundred students, and you say, okay, guys, we have a class here. Got sixty people in this class. Let's start to grapple tonight. Pick a partner. You know. So look at the risk they mm. put in everybody there. They don't know finesse. They don't know how to stop. They don't know how to. They don't have the joint. They don't. They don't know a little mm. bit the joint me mechanism yet. Mm. And they try to do the armbar. They start squeezing. They try to push and pull with not so much finesse. Mm. And that's a disaster for everybody. Huh? So a one-on-one, yeah, you no problem at all. Mm. But when you start talking about schools and a high-scale school, you want to be successful. You got to think about how to teach people how to first walk. It's like to teach somebody how to drive a car. Mm. Somebody's gonna walk in a track and you're gonna give him a key of a former one and tell him, go, go ahead, my friend. If you got any problem, just hit the brake and you, and you, and you slow down. Hmm. Okay. It's a disaster, right? Hmm. Now you're not gonna be able to drive the car right. You're not gonna do nothing right. You're gonna be able to start the car. P pretty much, so now what happened after you educate the person how to drive first a Formula 3? And after that, you educate him how to drive a Formula 2. Hmm. After that, you educate him to do a Formula He might have a chance to drive the car better with less accidents. Mm. Doesn't mean he's going to explore the limit, but means he's going to be able to drive better. So Jiu-Jitsu the same way. We need to understand the mechanics. We need to understand that uh, we are trying to break each other's joint, mm. especially knee bars, foot locks, you know, elbows, shoulders. We are trying to do this every night. Mm. And if we don't educate to each other, we're going to lose. Uh, most of the guys are going to get hurt. You can go to any school any jiu-jitsu school on the planet and ask anybody how many people here never got hurt doing jiu-jitsu you know you're not going to see nobody lift their hands up mm. you can ask another question how many people here almost got hurt what i mean almost got hurt like you felt like they almost broke mm. everybody lift their hands up yeah well yeah you got to learn the alphabet you got to your body needs to learn to move in the way before you can start putting words together and then sentences and phrases and then start saying paragraphs and then writing a story. Now you can have a conversation. That's it, you can have a conversation. Now you want to try to have a conversation without speaking the dialect? That's it. So, yeah, exactly. So that kind of leads into something else. So like 
what advice would you give for people to reject the victim mentality and embrace the victor mentality and to be the victor of their own lives and like if there's a what's and also what's the biggest example of jiu-jitsu um, changing someone's life that you've seen the biggest example you see uh, okay so my life you know i grew up as a kid i, I thought i was crazy i i literally I, I believe i was crazy i got called so many times i get, i heard so many times that pedro was crazy that i end up believing and 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 crazy people uh, i don't believe too much in crazy people I believe in level of, uh, you know, we all have our level. We all have a little bit of intensity. And some people, the only thing we need is to control that. Mm. We just need to be educated. Uh, some, what you can call crazy, you can, maybe you can call somebody eccentric. Yes. Maybe you can call somebody a, a little bit too smart mm. to one side, and he doesn't take care of himself on the other side. You, you, he's mm. eccentric. So what you do, jiu-jitsu allowed us to balance that. Mm. That happened in my life. Um, uh, I, I, I started doing jiu-jitsu and I used to go crazy on the mat. I used to freak out on the mat and nothing, nothing worked. I was getting caught, I was getting mauled on the mat every day. And the moment that uh, one time Grandmaster Eddie Grace gave me a hard time on the mount position, he put a hand on my neck and I tried to escape, I couldn't escape. And he looked at me and said, hey, you think you're crazy? Mm. Well, I discovered that he was talking to my mom. Mm. And my mom okay. told him that, I, hey, my Pedro is kind of crazy. And Elio didn't believe in that. Grandmaster Elio said, well, if you give him a $100 bill, he's going to eat it or put it in his pocket. My mom, like, you know, very awkward, kind of, she didn't going to understand very well. She said, I've put it in his pocket. I cool can point. still fix him. If, if you eat it, yeah, he's mm -hmm. really crazy. If you put it in his pocket, I fix him. And that's what Jiu-Jitsu did for me. And today, when I see people that could be a little bit, little bit more wild side, you bring them to class and you bring the social part of Jiu-Jitsu. Because the benefit for anyone, anyone, I don't care which school, which country, which language you talk. When you start doing jiu-jitsu, your benefit is going to be social. You, you're going to be a better, better fighter for sure. Man, if you get somebody who never done jiu-jitsu before, and you see that guy a year later, two years later, he's a different person. Mm. He's more comfortable, he's more confident, he's a better fighter. But how many times is he going to fight? Rarely you know, these days. Yeah, barely. You go to America. I'm like, man, I'm here in America, you know, but nobody fights in America. <laughs> Everybody here is very nice. They're very respectful. Mm. They come face to face. They scream to each other. But they don't fight. Mm. In Brazil, you arrive in a, in a zone, boom, somebody's ready to punch you. So jiu-jitsu there was more necessity. Mm. In America, it's not necessity. Over here in Australia, it's not necessity either. Well, it was developed still... in the fire, in the furnace. Yep. Um, okay, so just, just finally, um, how do you see the future of jiu-jitsu just like worldwide and in Australia and how you've seen the development just in Australia with the guys here, you know, Murat and Field and everyone and like, you know, how you've seen them develop from, you know, since they, they joined your association yep. to sort of now. Well, just think about that. When I was, the first time I came here to Australia, the only place that I did the same now was <coughs> over here, Nexus. Uh, actually, I don't know. No, we did it. No, we did a big, it was a big event. We yeah. hired out some like gymnasium, yeah, some, some gymnasium. basketball stadium or something. Yes. That was the first time yeah. that I came to Australia. And the next one, I came to Nexus. Mm -hmm. There was not so many schools. There was not so many people. You know, it was a small community. Mm. Today, 
anybody who follow the program, any school, and Nexus is a great example. You come to Nexus Academy, you're gonna learn our Green Master Degrees program. Mm. When you learn those programs, you, you're gonna be a life longer on the mat. You're gonna start understand Jiu-Jitsu instead try to fight Jiu-Jitsu. Mm. If you understand Jiu-Jitsu, that's the first indication that you're gonna be, you're gonna, you're gonna survive longer. When you don't understand Jiu-Jitsu, you're just fighting. And what you mean by understand, you're talking about the self-defense. The strategy of self-defense to understand when somebody miss the timing to protect himself. Mm. He's no longer, he's no longer uh, ready to defend himself. He cannot protect himself anymore. Now you make him say uncle. Now you tap him. The self-defense is a way for you to premeditate moves. Most of Jiu-Jitsu practitioners, we try to defend the move after somebody catches. Mm. And really stiffen up, and then that's when you can. You know, we try to fight yourself after that. Mm. And, and a lot of karate guys, they will fight themselves out. They fight, they get out, they escape, you know, using a good physical skills, your own abilities. Mm. But you cannot multiply yourself. How can you make an, a little girl be just like you? Yeah, that's right. How can you make a little girl freak out, get out for a move? Mm. But you can make a little girl understand Jiu Jitsu, and before somebody tried to get her in an armbar, she just hide her. Mm. When somebody tried to get her in a choke, first hand goes there, she put a, a attention to the second hand. She mm. hides the lapel, don't let the second hand touch. Mm. Instead, you put your hands on my neck, I bust the grips out of here. <laughs> That's the perfect recipe for disaster. You're gonna build very tough guys, but you're gonna have very short longevity. Your school's gonna suffer, you're not gonna be able to grow older in Jiu-Jitsu, and you're not gonna be able to multiply yourself. Mm. Okay. All right, cool. Is there anything else you wanted to touch on? Just uh, I just want to say hi to everybody, Australian guys. I appreciate any time he's in Australia. Nexus, we have tons of people here now, but Murat is the first guy who started here, started at all. All the guys, most of the best guys here that came, I bet Benny Murat's hands before, past Murat school. You met him at Blue Belt? He yeah, he was a young Blue Belt. I think you have a picture right there, right here back there. Young Blue Belt Murat. And how many years ago was that? 2004? So almost 15 years ago. Now look the difference. Murat today, he runs a very nice association here in Australia. He built an incredible amount of guys here. Married, two kids. Look his social life. Look how kind, how nice, how relaxed. The guy's just a comfortable guy in your own skin. And those are the benefits for Jiu-Jitsu. And that's something that, uh, in my personal view, I prefer to see people Murat's style than to see, like, you know, uh, put a lot of effort in fighters and, mm. and, 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 and comp nothing wrong about that. I, I totally respect everybody, every style. But my style is more on the personal side. Mm. I, I prefer to see personal gain. And of course, with personal gain comes a lot of physical gain too. Mm. And you realize the grass is greener on the inside. Yes. It's not no, not about that. And basically, uh, one thing that I, I bring to everybody, I think when you understand it's just that way, Again, I, I say this with every seminar. Every student that walk in the door, we should bring the guy to a parking lot and say, guys, I gotta move a car. Every student is gonna grab the bumper and gonna try to lift the car like this. A student who's a little bit more educated might start to lift the car more with, with a posture. In Jiu-Jitsu, with good quality instruction, we teach students how to use a jack. Now, the guy used the jack, he's a spoiled. And he mm. can be spoiled from the first day of class. 
And after that, he's a comfortable guy. He can go an incredible change. Can you imagine if you start to learn how to use a jack? Mm. Why are you mm. going to use a muscle? Well, that's right. Archimedes, give me a lever big enough and I can move the rod. All right. That's the idea. That's it. All right. No worries. Thanks. Thanks once again. I appreciate it. I'm here. Thanks, Ava. I appreciate it, guys. All, all the right. shining guys. Everyone. Thank you very much, man. All right. See you. I appreciate it, guys. Yeah. Alrighty guys, I hope you enjoyed that podcast with Professor as much as I enjoyed doing it. Um, yeah, be sure to hit the like button, leave a comment down below or subscribe. Uh, be sure to check out my links in the description to my social media and all that. Uh, and also Professor's links down below as well. So hope you guys enjoyed that episode and we'll catch you next time. Peace.